TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. You know, I was talking about the life of Sandra Day O'Connor. Just amazing. You know, just growing up on a ranch miles from a paved road <laughs> to going to Stanford at 16 to ending up on the Supreme Court bench. It's just incredible. I want to touch base on this, maybe a couple other things, with Michael Coyne, Dean of the Massachusetts School of Law. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well today. How are you, Brian? I'm great. And I was, you know, I, I, I told the story, I'm sure you were sleeping, but, you know, my dad took me down to D.C. when I was 11 or 12, and, and, and he we sat in on an open session of the Supreme Court. They were hearing, like, a an illegal search and seizure case. So I saw O'Connor on the bench, actually, which was, you know, it was, it was a thrill, obviously. I'm just curious, you know, when, when you think of Sandra Day O'Connor, you know, what, what comes to mind for you? What comes to mind to me is the uh, ultimately the diversity in the profession that uh, took a long while to get there. I mean, if you start to think about it, that it wasn't until the 1980s that we had the first woman on the Supreme Court, uh, it seems like a pretty slow change all in all. And now when we think about the legal profession, the fact is, is that while it's still pretty white, uh, it is much more diverse with respect to gender than it ever has been. And uh, obviously, that's a good thing when we have uh, a greater level of representation of our community uh, in the legal profession. And she did it with such grace and distinction. You know, we don't have uh, she didn't have um, the some of the baggage that we see the justices on the Supreme Court have now. So I think for the most part, people really uh, respected her, admired her, and especially, as you just pointed out, her really up from the bootstraps uh, rise to the highest court in the land is impressive. And it's a good story, not just for uh, young women who want to enter the legal profession, but all of us, that if you work hard enough, you can accomplish just about whatever you set out to. It was, you know, 75 years ago, she got out of law school. She couldn't get a job because she's a woman. (laughs) I mean, it's nuts. Yeah, you know, and, and that's not an uncommon story. If you go back, you know, my former senior partner in uh, Boston was a uh, woman, and she was one of the a handful of women in, uh, at the Boston University Law School in the early 60s. And um, in the early 60s was a very different time in the legal profession. If you were a minority, if you were Jewish, if you were a female trying to get a the job in one of the more established uh, big big uh, law firms was uh, virtually impossible. It was an enclave of very few. So we have seen changes. It just yeah. uh, you know to me it it shouldn't it shouldn't take sixty years to see the change. And we still have a lot more change when we start to talk about 
representation of our various communities in the legal profession. We haven't done a very good job. We have done a good job by gender, but we still have a long way to go. We're talking with Michael Coyne, Dean of the Massachusetts School of Law. It's, you know, it's fascinating because she's considered sort of a moderate conservative, first woman on the bench. And, you know, there was a ton of pushback on her from the religious right about, you know, her stance. Potentially, They wanted her to overturn Roe v. Wade and they didn't look at her as someone who would be constructive toward that end. But she still passed ninety nine zero in the Senate. You know, first woman was she? Is she like the last moderate? I mean, it, it's- <laughs> it sure it sure seems that these days, right? I mean, she really was a coalition builder. Um, the fact is, is that uh, yes, the uh, she supported uh, the Casey, the Planned Parenthood, the case before the most recent case that overturned uh, Roe versus Wade. She supported it at the time and was oftentimes. Um, the swing vote on on many of the votes, building consensus for um, narrow changes in the law. She tended to find uh, more uh, agreement than the disagreement that we see. Uh, And that's present in a lot of the Supreme Court decisions, even during her time. Uh, There were fights with Scalia. There were fights with others. Uh, But she oftentimes seemed above some of that fray um, and in in a very quiet uh, respectful, professional manner was able to make her points and build agreement and ultimately um, be someone who was a real force on the court because she brought the two sides together more often than not. You know, you, you interact with your students and, you know, and I don't know to what degree the makeup of the court and the court cases factor into what you teach, but, you know, you have a situation where I feel like when I was younger, I knew zero about the lives of these justices and there was this it seemed like this incredible separation between them and the rest of society and now we maybe it's because the internet maybe it's because of social media i don't know but it seems like we know a little bit more and it's not necessarily pretty i mean what is <laughs> what are some of the yeah. ways i mean in, in say in the in the 40-something years that since her being appointed what what what's changed well, you, you bring up a good point. Were, were we better off when we knew little about? I feel like we were. Justice? I feel like ignorance was <laughs> <their> bliss. <laughs> well, that's a fair argument to make. Unfortunately, though, uh, we are entitled to know more. We are entitled to know what their business interests are and their relationships. And I think, uh, and I do think, social media has advanced this, and the press has scrutinized it more carefully. Uh, in recent years, as they should. I mean, the fact is, is that they they get to serve until they decide there is no mandatory retirement age, and they are incredibly influential, as we've seen in, in the more recent history, and have felt those effects. So the fact is, is that their backgrounds, their experience, who they may be beholden to is all fair game. Um, but there was a time where we didn't know all of that, and we felt more comfortable with it, and I also think that the court uh, felt more, much more comfortable with it. You know, I was at a seminar a number of years ago, and Chief Justice Roberts spoke. Uh, and, and he really inspired some level of confidence in the court because he talked about wanting the people to understand, as he saw his role, we're, we're the umpires. We call the balls and strikes. Uh, we don't play the game, and we really don't want to be known by the political affiliation because once we're appointed— 
uh, we are immune from that process, as he said it. Right. Um, and we really try to follow the law, and it's important that they follow precedent. I don't know whether we're veered from that in more recent history, but I think it's fair that the media, and whether it's uh, social media or the traditional media, really question whether we're on the right path and what their goals are and whether there should be a stronger code of ethics so that we have more trust. Because yeah. I do think that trust has eroded in recent years as we have pulled the curtain back and seen a little more of the workings of the court it's, as well. It's crazy to me how that lack of trust has crept in so much with the court. I just felt it was sacrosanct, and it's not. Um, I, I know. It's really stunning. Disappointing. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if it's just the natural order of things or how the democracy of this country evolves. I, I don't really know, but it is it is troubling and disappointing. And Robert seems like, I always say to my wife, I shouldn't say this, I mean, Robert, John Roberts is the guy who can save the country, I think. I mean, he, he's, he's sort of, I feel like he has that potential. I agree with that, actually. And I've said that before as well. There's, uh, he is, he's a man of extraordinary intelligence and compassion, I believe. There's a, uh, people can look up there. He gave a speech at his son's graduation in New Hampshire uh, from high school. And it really is, he's very down to earth. Uh, he's very concerned about the history of the court and its reputation. And I think this more, the, the, the events of the last couple of years are likely very, very troubling to him. He would never speak of, in that regard of it, but, but he is a, he is very much concerned with the reputation of the court and it's, and it, it would be very disappointed that you and I are talking about the Supreme Court not being held in the same respect as it as it was for many many years because of some of the conflicts and concerns um, and the the lack of transparency that I think most people would want to see right. um, that that and and it should and have the right to see uh, that that he can at some point but the. But the problem is he's he is no longer the the swing vote on the court. Right. Uh, in many cases, he's not controlling the majority block, and so you only have so much power uh, if you're not one of the the five votes that's needed to right. successfully carry the day. We got to run, Michael. As always, man, great conversation. Really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. Thanks, Brian. You too. Uh, Michael Coyne, dean of the Massachusetts School of Law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. For a 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.